Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we will be discussing Andromeda Strain, the book by Michael Crichton and the movie from 1971. Hello and welcome to History in Reverse. My name is Caroline. I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. And we are talking about Andromeda Strain. And we uh, both watched the movie, but only only my father read the book. And we're going to be talking about both of them. But they seem to be pretty, they're pretty close in terms of adaptation, right? Yeah, they're pretty close. I think in general, we wanted to do some Michael Crichton since we, we haven't done any of it. But mm-hmm. we've both read a lot of his books. Yeah, yeah. And I think I read a lot of the Jurassic Park yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Seen those movies. You ever heard of those? You heard of those Jurassic Park movies? Something with these big lizards or something? Yeah. That's all, I don't know. <laughs> you know, they, they change sex. It's fine. Whatever. What, what is a plot hole anyway? Uh, do you want to tell us about Andromeda Strain, the book? So Michael Crichton, uh, so he was trained as a doctor, but I don't think he ever practiced. And he started writing fairly early on. So this um, Andromeda Strain was published in 1969. But it was first novel that he wrote under his name, that was published under his name. He published oh. five others under pseudonyms, like, like a pen names. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at his Wikipedia page just, just to see the kind of stuff that he's written. And a lot of stuff he wrote was under a pen name, maybe because he was in medical school and he didn't want people to know that he's writing uh, trashy science fiction. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess back then it would have kind of been considered like genre, ooh, scary, writing in a genre. So um, 1969, that was at the height of the Apollo program and the space race, so the space race to the moon. So there was mm-hmm. lots of rocket satellites and all that new stuff. The kind of premise of the book is that uh, to find some alien life that comes from space to Earth and it does bad things. Mm-hmm. Except uh, in Andromeda Strain, the life is... It's a bug. It's a microscopic uh, bacteria. Not, it's not bacteria, right? It's, well, it's, it's, it's a microscopic mysterious. organism. <laughs> it's, it's an Andromeda strain. Yes. And yes. Um, both the book and the movie kind of, I guess we should talk about the plot kind of because. Well, also the movie, the, movie, the movie came out what, two years later, right? So it was, right. it was made into a movie very, relatively quickly from when right. it came out to when uh, the movie came out. And um, the, the movie is very good. It, I thought that they did an excellent job on it. I really, I really enjoyed watching it. It's very well paced. We'll get at the end talking about themes. I at the outset, it's not very theme heavy. It's not like mm-hmm. you know my literary masterpieces that I that I like love and love to chew on. <laughs> uh, but it was very enjoyable. So you know, different media has different purposes. So yeah, we could talk about the plots. Well, I think Michael Crichton because he wrote for TV, his books are very often structured to be easily transferred to the screen, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, the the action of the book takes place in, in five days, right? Mm-hmm. And both the book and the movie begin with this, like, fake introduction, remember? Yeah, I was tricked. I was bamboozled. <laughs> the movie starts with this introduction that makes it sound real, and it's like something about, like, these real events do not uh, violate any classified information from the government or whatever. And I didn't know anything about it. So I, I, we were sitting watching it and I looked at you and I was like, was this based on real events? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) So if you, if you, I was looking at the book and the book has a long introduction when he gives thanks to all the people who provided information and Ah. it's it's all fake introduction as well. (laughs) That's cute. I like that. I really enjoy that. (laughs) So yeah. So the, the, Movie starts, and so Dad, you're going to tell me what is and isn't the same mm-hmm. in the book. So why don't you talk to the plot, and I'll, I'll. Uh, it's pretty much the same. There's a couple mm-hmm. extra things in the book, but not much. Yeah. So basically, the movie starts, and there is a town that is uh, suddenly everyone in the town is dead. Whoopsie doodle. It's well. A- so how do we find out, right? So we have these movie and the book open when there's like two guys from the army with like a truck looking for something. And mm-hmm. you get the, from the conversation, they're looking for like a satellite that that, that landed yeah. somewhere near there, right? And they mm-hmm. have this uh, truck with the antenna so they can can find it. And they 
pinpointed to this town and they trying to this was kind of it begins kind of late in the evening or kind of at night when I try to see what's going on in the town and it seems to be super quiet and there's nothing going on. So mm -hmm. they drive into the town and then you don't see them driving into the town. You just hear them talking on the radio to the controllers mm -hmm. and something bad happens. It's like you can clearly hear that they're, they're talking, they're talking and then, oh my God, there's bodies. Ah, mm -hmm. and radio silence. Yep. And then this is a mystery, what happened in so, the town. It's Peep again, Peepoff is a town, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, again, typical Michael Crichton, right? So it's a good hook. It's a good hook in the beginning. Cause I'm, yeah, I mean, he does that in Jurassic on. Park as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the RME flies a jet to take some pictures. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, this is all pre-digital era. So it's a picture with the, you know, the camera. They have to develop the film. Yes. And have a projector to, to look at it. <laughs> but you know, back then it looked super cool. Back then it was like, wow, this cutting edge technology. <laughs> so they end up going uh, to the tower. They send people into the tower. Well, no, so they, they, they see. So th there's this one thing that the, the Army Air Force, the Air Force base that's nearby there, right? They develop the film and see from the film that, like, there's all these dead people just lying all over the place in the mm -hmm. street. And it's a small town. They said population like 70 or something. And the guy from the, like the commandant of the, uh, the, the, uh, of the air force base goes into this room to make a phone call and, and says, oh, yes. and basically says, there's a fire. Oh yes. I forgot about the fire thing. I thought this was really cool. So he goes to make a call on this phone. Now this is something you, you said was different in the book, right? right? So in the book, it's slightly different. So in, in the book, I think Michael Crichton wanted to show off that he knew binary arithmetic. Right? Good for him. So apparently in the book, he explains that this guy had like a little card in his wallet that said in case of emergency called 87. Mm -hmm. And then he, explains how to convert 87 into binary code so he can call it on this phone that only has zero and one, <laughs> which I thought was kind uh, of silly. You're so smart, Michael Crane. We're very proud of you. Good job. You know, binary. This is like in the middle of 1984 when Orwell's like, wait, sit down and read my philosophy book in the middle of this narrative. <laughs> well, Michael Crane does that, drops bits of science and, and stuff here yeah. and there. Right. Well, we'll talk so, about some of that because you were laughing at some of the airplane stuff later on. Well, yeah, the computer <laughs> stuff, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so then there's this really interesting code that goes out that uh, the guy calls and says there's there's a fire. Right. So then, then we go to a party. Then we get cut to several different people who are receiving this message that there's a fire. Right. And one is at a party. He, that guy seemed which now which character is that? That's that was Dr. Jeremy Stone. That was that was yep. Dr. Stone. He was the Nobel Prize winner, the mm -hmm. the the leader of the of the of the pack, basically. Right. So Dr. Stone's at this party and his wife's like, There yo, there are police outside and they have guns. And they're like, There's a fire, and he's like, I have to go. And she's like, What? Why? Where? When he's like, I'm surprised. He's like, and he makes a comment about how he was like expecting it. I don't know if that was ever cleared up as to why. Well, no, because he was the one who, who was the leader. Like some of the backstory that I give you is he was the one who convinced the government, the president, to pr create this, uh, oh, to create this lab for yeah. this purpose. And the lab is called Wildfire, right? Right. Yeah. And as they bring the people in, they kind of provide a little bit of background. You know, yeah. they have to read the documents about what's going on and they cut back to some congressional hearings or some meetings with, uh, you know, president or some such. Mm -hmm. So they get Dr. Jeremy Stone. They get uh, Dr. Charles Dutton, uh, Dr. Mark Hall, and Dr. Ruth Levitt. And now and, this is the biggest change, right, from the source material. Right. In the movie and in the book, we have Dr. Peter Levitt. Mm -hmm. And he's a microbiologist, and so is she. And he has epilepsy, and so does she, right? Mm-hmm. And, so they, uh, they made one whole scientist a woman. <laughs> I'm very proud of them. Good job. Well, it was, you know, the 70s, you know. Well, we'll talk about their choice to make the, the one, the epileptic scientist a, a woman. But uh, Dr. Levin has epilepsy but does not tell anyone. But it's established pretty early on in the movie. We see Right. It's, it's kind, of, kind of clever how they establish it, right? So Yeah. So, they, so anyway, so they gather all these people. So. There was somebody else who was supposed to go instead of uh, Dr. Levitt, 
but he had uh, he was he had appendicitis and wasn't available. Did you notice that in the movie? No, no. I thought that what they were saying was that the doctor wasn't available because he was doing an appendicitis surgery. Doctor. No, no, no. The Dr. Hall was the one who they pulled out of surgery. They pulled out of surgery. Yeah. I thought he wasn't no, available because of that. No, there was another one that was. Uh, so like if you see in the book, there was another doctor who, who couldn't come because he he was in the hospital. So, oh, okay. All right. I, I misunderstood that, that I wasn't clear. Yeah, yeah so, the was four, so the four of them go and they go to this like secret, secret lab. Secret. So this is the secret lab in the middle of the desert. So this is kind of model on what uh, like um, Manhattan Project was, where they, was mm -hmm. Los Alamos had the labs in the middle of nowhere to build a nuclear bomb. This is kind of like that, except mm -hmm. it's really super duper disguised. Right when you get yes. there, it says it's some agricultural experiment and thing, and there's a yeah. building, like a farm, yeah, like, like a little farm with these little labs and stuff. Do and they go? Don't they go to the town to get the satellite first before they go there? Right. So what happens is Stone yeah. gets there first, mm -hmm. and he and Hall, I think, they're the two who get there first, and they go to the town, right, to see what actually what's going on. So yeah, they get all suited up and they go by helicopter. Right. to Piedmont and get dropped off. And this is the section of the movie where like the uh, film filmography or cinematography intern took over and decided to like cut it with all those pictures. Remember like all the dramatic. All oh, right. Right. <laughs> so it's really hard for, to make people look dead when they're clearly alive. So because they move. Right. So what they did was they wanted to show all these bodies in the town and like how people just dropped wherever they were. It was important. The plot that they just kind of right. suddenly dropped so quickly. And what they did was they, they took up what were obviously still pictures of people in various positions and kind of cut them up and put them across the screen in various like dramatic ways and with dramatic music. <laughs> and it was like very artsy. Uh, but basically they go through the town and they, they find all these people that just dropped where they were until. So they first, they had to find the satellite, right? So they mm -hmm. go into the truck that the two soldiers left. Right. And, and they are surprised, like the one of the soldiers has a cut on his um, head from, a, I guess, from the car stopping or something. Mm -hmm. And there was no bleeding. So that right. gives you the first hint. Something weird is weird. Mm -hmm. So they get into the car, follow, use, use the radar and find the, the satellite. It's small. It's, you know, size of like a, I don't know, large plate or basket yeah. or something. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, two feet across or something. Yeah, it's relatively small. But before, and, they find, before they find the satellite, though, they're looking at the different bodies, and there's one woman who had hanged herself in the town. Right. And she wrote a suicide note. And they were like, hmm, everyone else dropped dead, but she obviously had time before right. she died. Like, what's going on? And she wrote, like, you know, Armageddon is coming. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And at some point in time, they cut someone's arm open, remember? Well, right. So they get to uh, to the doctor's office where the satellite was. So I said, "Oh, look! People found brought it to the doctor," and they mm -hmm. said, "Oh, the idiots opened it up." Yeah. Right. So he looks at the doctor, and then he turns him. You know, doctor's kind of dead in a chair, mm -hmm. and he throws him. You know, puts him on the floor and tells one one guy, the, the one who's the doctor, says, "Look at his butt." Mm -hmm. Yeah, they pull out his pants and look at his butt. <laughs> and and he says. Yeah, look at his butt. It says, it says what? It says, well, you know, when you die, blood normally pools in mm -hmm. the lower parts of the body, and there was none of that. So that's when they cut his arm, and they see that the all the blood has been coagulated. It's just mm -hmm. dust, basically. Which is so cool. What a cool idea. And then you're like, I'm like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> why is it? Why is it dust? Then they take the satellite at that point. So then they put the satellite in a plastic bag. <laughs> They do. They pull out a plastic bag. <laughs> Very secure. And it's like you know they they tell the the helicopter pilot to um, you know when they, before they leave is that if if something goes wrong he has to go back, fly to wildfire to the lab and basically he's gonna get burned up. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. nothing goes wrong. So they're starting to go go back to the where they're going to be picked up and all of a sudden they hear a baby cry. Mm -hmm. Right. So. They kind of look for it, and they find a baby. It's mm -hmm. perfectly fine. It's just crying and crying and crying. So they, they take the baby with them, 
mm-hmm. right? And they get the helicopter. I noticed in the in the movie they kind of cut short the the going up and down to the helicopter because that would be kind of difficult in the suits that they were in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and took probably would take a while because the helicopter never lands. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so as they were loading the baby up, all of a sudden, this man with a hatchet runs up the, at them mm-hmm. and starts screaming. What was he yelling? I forget. I don't remember what he was yelling, but he's like screaming and he's like a little bit delusional and stuff like that. And, and but he's alive. He's in the town. He's, and he's, he's alive. alive. Uh, the the doctor Hall kind of stops him, and and the guy just kind of collapses. Mm-hmm. And they and also take him with them. So they take him with him. So they have two Very survivors. Very safe. Very safe. <laughs> we put the satellite in a plastic bag, the baby in a basket, and this guy on the floor of the helicopter. It's fine. It's very safe. <laughs> and then they go back to wildfire. And then they go back to wildfire. And then meanwhile, the other people arrive. Right? So there was the Dr. Holland Stone, Dr. Stone, where the ones who went helicopter to went to the town. And... Uh, I guess uh, Burton and Doc and Ruth, they call them Dutton in the movie. Uh, they get so they get to this uh, lab and they see you know it's all kind of secret and stuff. And that you get a hint that she has uh, epilepsy because there's like a thing with red lights flashing at the entrance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And she says, oh, "I hate flashing red lights." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they go in, and they go into this place, and it's all like nice little labs. And finally, they go into like a broom closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he presses a button, and the floor drops, and they go yep. into this lab. And so, what's really cool about this movie is that it's it's. I mean, I would consider it like action packed, but it's all like science action, and it's all about like the scientific method and the process of like, okay, you have this problem and this mystery. How do you solve it? What precautions do you take, et cetera? And we spent like a solid 15 minutes decontaminating and getting to the lab. Right. So the lab had like uh, five levels, right? And mm-hmm. each level was more and more sterile, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because they said they had the problem of how do you sterilize the human body. Right. You know. To the point where they like they were giving him pills for food and, and so. Yeah. Yeah. No coffee. Like, yeah. And, paper uh, clothes. They, yeah, paper clothes. They just keep going down and down from level to level, level to level, which would give me claustrophobia. I don't know about you. If I knew I was that deep underground, I'd freak out. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the uh, part of the, the facility, I certainly hope this doesn't come up later, is that it has a self destruct. Right. So the because the lab was constructed allegedly to investigate potentially some dangerous pathogens, mm-hmm. it has a self-destruct mechanism, which is automatic, meaning that if there is a leak some at some point, this thing just starts running, and it's a it's a, a bomb, atomic bomb at, at the bottom, and it will just blow the whole place up. Mm-hmm. And then and they talk about the- only one the, way the, to the stop it. <laughs> One-man hypothesis. Oh, I didn't understand this at all. Uh, uh, Odd-man hypothesis, right? So, yes. And in a book, uh, there's actually a chart with all the statistics from these studies oh, yes. uh, that oh, they did, okay. what they, that they showed that uh, in this kind of life and death situation, the person who makes best decision is a single man, not married, mm-hmm. n- no children. So Dr. Hall happened to be that man. So mm-hmm. when they get, I think, on the first level, um, they said, I'm enabling the self-destruct. I, I put the key into this little thing. I turned it on. It's armed. Now, if it goes off, the only way to stop it is, here's a key. You have to find a station where you put the key in and mm-hmm. turn it off, right? Yeah. And there's three stations on every level. They're supposed to be five, but we haven't finished them yet. Yeah, but that's fine. This will come up ever. This will be, right. you're good. Don't worry about it. So they give it, it's like on a necklace. They give Makia a necklace and he, he holds it for the rest of the movie. And I spent right. the rest of the movie worrying he was going to drop it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and so, he had many chances to do that. He did. Got me on the edge of my seat. So they go uh, further and further down until they reach the bottom. And so do the, the baby and the old man are also brought all the way down, as is the satellite. Satellite. And then they start studying it. And this is like a really cool section of the movie where they're like, 
trying to figure it out. And they do a lot of animal experiments, which is unfortunate. And no animals were actually killed, but like they either they simulate like rats and monkeys and stuff. And but I yeah, I mean, the- they start they start by examining the satellite with like a microscope. Well, there's there's like multiple tests going on at once. So two of them are looking at this thing really closely with a microscope to see if they can like find yeah. it. And what I thought was really interesting was they had um, they they figured out that it transmits by air by putting a rat in a room with, with um, the thing, the thing, or with a dead rat. I forget what they they no that they, they took a rat. So they said, yeah. I'll be wondering if this is still active, right? So right. they took a rat. And they had these manipulator arms and stuff, just kind yeah. of neat. So and... they, they put a rat in the room with it. The rat dies. Then they put the rat in an airtight box, like glass box, and put a tube between that glass box and another glass box with another rat, with a live rat. And they try different types of filters in that tube to right, figure for... out how big the microbe or whatever it is is. And they figure out how big it is because at some point the filter is thick enough that it does not transfer yeah, through air. Yeah, the, the holes are small. They start with a very small filter, like right. virus size, and then it's bigger than a virus. So it's a, it's like two microns, between one and two microns. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. I was like, that. that's like a really clever way to figure out. But then that's it, how um, people uh, analyze uh, pathogens. You know. Yeah. When I was reading about the the great pandemic, uh, flu pandemic in 1918, that was one of the experiments, that kind of experiments they did how to, to figure out how large the, the, the thing was mm. because of a virus, not the bacteria. And bac- the virus is much smaller than bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what they do. And they, they're doing various tests. They're also, um, do- the doctor is doing, um, a- treating the baby and the old man. Right. And he's like, what? How are these two alive? What right. what is the same thing between baby and old man, you know? And there seems to be nothing. There's like nothing between the two of them. We find out the old man was like a heavy drinker. He so he had uh, ulcers, bleeding of right. ulcers, and he would drink this thing called sterno, which was like some weird concoction of like alcohol and, and something all pretty awful. Mm-hmm. But you know what did he, what did he call it? He had this cool name for it. I forget the name. I thought he was called Sterno. That's what I remember. So he seems like an old, like unhealthy dude. Yeah. And then you've got a baby who's perfectly fine. There's nothing unique about either of them. And then they're like, what the heck? How are these two staying alive having been exposed to this? Right. There's another woman. There's the the, the nurse. Other, the nurse who works with Doc. It's Dr. Hall who's with the kid. Yeah. yeah. It's the nurse that works with Dr. Hall. Who? So what what is the the hospital room like? So it's it's really interesting because I I, I was wondering watching like how are they going to go into this room and be sterile and come out and be sterilized whatever, and it's like I don't know how to describe it like if you if you've ever seen like um, in NICUs where they have like those things where you can put your hands in the gloves to like touch the baby through the gloves but the gloves never leave the box the gloves don't just remain in there it's like that but it's a full body suit. So they go through like a tube, like a tunnel, and step into a full body suit that's like that, and it's just in the room, like it's never detached. Right, and it kind of so, has this this accordion thing that expands. Yeah, go to the room. It was really cool. It was a really cool idea. I mean, I'm sure that's a real thing, and he got that from yeah. something real. But like, that's a really, it was a really cool idea, and I, I liked that a lot. That was really neat. So they're continuing to do experiments. They figured out its size. Well, so, well I mean, so mm-hmm. they, they actually find the Andromeda on the, the like, see, and the indentation on the on a satellite, and they find mm-hmm. a little piece of what looks like rock, and mm-hmm. on it there's little green things. Yeah. Little green men. Very yeah. little. <laughs> Very little green men. Oh, this does have a lot of callbacks to other uh, other science. Fiction. And they're trying to you know analyze it, and then um, in the electron microscope they actually see it reproduce in pure and in, in vacuum basically which yeah. is kind of unusual but okay that's what you would to do need to do if you want to live in space right mm-hmm. now meanwhile while this is all going on there's another plot happening which is that wildfire had told the u.s government hey uh that town piedmont you gotta blow it up you gotta nuke it you gotta nuke it because this shit's wild over here directive and- 712 Yes. And the government said, we'll get right on that in like three to six weeks. 
well, no, what happens is they go to the president and the president says, well, I'm the president. I decide when we nuke things. Let's not rush into this. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, but wildfire, the team at Wildfire doesn't know that they think it's already been nuked. Right. Um, so there, there's some interesting tech-tech uh, uh, the communications with the outside world, right? So this yes. is 1971, and they have teletypes. So basically, it's a little machine that will print stuff out. And the machine that sends the really important message is a little bell that rings if oh, when the yeah, message this comes. Oh, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the machine has a little bell. There's like a little side scene in the middle of nowhere in this story, like totally random, that explains that like a piece of paper got caught in like the bell. So it didn't right. ring when messages were coming in. So they didn't get the message that the government hadn't blown up Piedmont. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> the bell wasn't working. <laughs> that was really funny. And the Air Force guy who was sitting there says, the bell didn't ring, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't see the message. So people are people from the government are poking around. Or rather, somebody flies over Piedmont at some point. And I think well, this is so before uh, right so as the, as they're analyzing um so one of the things they're doing there which is which the epilepsy comes into play is when you're trying to analyze uh organisms like that you put it in a different substrate to see which where it glow, grows and where it doesn't right. right so they have like i don't know 500 of these samples spread mm -hmm. and they have this computer kind of uh i, I like the computers kind of old-fashioned, you know, yeah. just ask, ask, you know, letter graphics. But so uh, Dr. Ruth is um, just sitting there looking at the computer displaying the results of the cultures. Mm -hmm. right. And it gets to the one where it says there's no growth. Mm -hmm. Remember? And yep. there's a red letters flashing saying no growth, no growth, mm -hmm. no growth. And she just freezes. Yeah. And this just goes by, and she's there like for several minutes before she mm -hmm. realized that that this happened. So she missed that that one particular one. Mm -hmm. So when they go to do the conference, they call you know they have nice video phones throughout the facility, right? You know, uh, they're all zooming in to talk to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all all zooming <laughs> and zooming with the White House as well. Yes, um, and she's just, have you finished looking at all the samples? She says, "Well, I had." To look at them again because I missed something. I think I missed something, but mm -hmm. they had this conference, so she never realizes which which sample it was that. And she does not reveal to them that she had epilepsy. So she's just like, right. "Oh, I have to review them again. I have to review." Like she doesn't right. say why. She's just like, "Oh, I gotta take another look." But yeah, she did miss it at that point. So that that's when they find out that Piedmont was not destroyed uh, when they're having that conference, right. and they call angrily. And so they're like, you have to tell the president to destroy Piedmont right now. It's so super important because big, big bad thing that's there. Meanwhile, a plane flies over or near Piedmont. Right. And, and Andromeda and he, gets in the plane. It's like, a, it's like a fighter jet or something. Yeah, fighter jet at, at 20,000 feet, right? And, and it says uh, that's another thing that they don't find out. Uh, right away that it happened because of this communication issue. Mm -hmm. So the, the plane crashes, but they get weird reports from the pilot that that his rubber thing was falling apart, like all the all the rubber plastic pieces of the plane was deteriorating, mm -hmm. like his uh, oxygen mask and things like that. So, yeah, that that's a hint, because when they examine the the direct, they say, oh well, all this stuff is made from this special plastic, whatever it was called. Po uh, Polycon, I think, was it? Yeah, Something I don't like know. That. It, yeah. It's a real thing, but yeah, science it's, it's fiction not, plastic. It's yeah. not rubber, yeah. And earlier in the story, and when they talked about all the seals at wildfire, they they mentioned the same substance. That, oh <laughs> no! What are the chances? Oh, not all the seals. But this is the point in time, Dad, where you started laughing because the 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 shot of the plane crashing. Uh, they showed the dials in the plane, remember, with the different... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, God, yeah. So the plane was crashing, but there's a di there's an instrument that shows you the rate of climb, and it was going up at the maximum rate of climb while it was crashing into the ground. So, <laughs> Listen, Andromeda was messing with the plane, okay? With That's the right, plastic. Yeah. The, pl the Polycon was messing with the instrument. Exactly, you know. exactly. That's what I, sh happened. I should have known that. 
you know, the warp drive wasn't connected to the dilithium crystals. And uh, that's what that's what was going on. So this plane crashes and the, the government is trying to be like, listen, they're like, it's just it's just a, a weird shit happened. They're like, it's not to do with this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. Planes crash. Yeah. Yeah. Planes crash. It's fine. The team at Wildfire is like blow up Piedmont and the government's the president's like, we'll think about it. And then they keep studying it and they realize it's crystalline. It's a crystalline. So it's crystalline, but it's a crystalline that... entity. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and Dr. Hall is trying to kind of pound in his head, figuring out what the hell is going on. What what is the common thing between the baby and and the sick guy? And he eventually realizes there's a um this uh blood disorder that that the guy has where his blood is too alkaline. Mm-hmm. And when baby cries a lot with his colic, its blood is too acidic, or the other way around. But yeah, it's out of the normal pH range. Mm-hmm. So he says, "Oh, Andromeda doesn't like weird pH." Mm-hmm. And they 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 look at the culture. It says, "Oh my God, that's true. Mm-hmm. We figured it out." And then the alarm goes off. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a before the alarm goes off. Um, doesn't the guy get to, is the alarm goes off because the guy gets exposed? Well, so one what, Dr. Uh, Dutton, right? Dr. Dutton gets uh, seals got broken in his lab and he's exposed, right? So the Dr. Hall comes in and he says, they, They're feeding him poor oxygen atmosphere. He says, No, don't do that, give him regular air and make breathe fast so you know you can hyperventilate and that'll make your bro- blood more acidic and that'll mm-hmm. prevent Andromeda from, from killing him and he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Right, he's 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 really terrified, but he's not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently, the seal broke between, I guess, his area and where the lab was. I guess because the seals were made out of that stuff. They were made out of polycot. <laughs> I think it's polycot. Whatever it was. Whatever. It what was. are the odds? This is also around the time they realized that Doctor Levitt has epilepsy. Well. No, that that happens when when the alarm goes off because yeah. she does it in. So, but this is before the alarm goes off. So they isolated the lab, they closed the lab, and he's in that kind of trying to breathe fast. Mm-hmm. And then they noticed that the rat that he was doing experiments on is not dead either. Mm-hmm. So I think, oh my god, this thing is is uh, mutating and it's no longer no longer kills people, right? Mm-hmm. Says, but look, it's like the perfect thing that that reproduces by taking energy from its environment. So if you like blow it up with a bomb, it's like the worst thing. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> so that they called back somewhere and it's like called to Washington saying, no, no, don't do that. And the president, <laughs> and, they're like, they're like, okay, okay. And the president just approved it. We're going to blow up the town. They're on the way. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. <laughs> and so the president's going to be happy that he made the right decisions. To yeah. Begin with. <laughs> He knew he made the right reasoned decision. It's like, no, but the road less traveled, sir. That's you didn't make a decision. You just picked something randomly. Um, well, I, I think, uh, I think that was a little allusion to the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't you remember what that was. I'm va- vaguely aware of the Cuban Missile Crisis. In the early 1960s, um, the Russians wanted to put nuclear missiles in Cuba, which is 90 miles from the United States. Mm-hmm. And the United States says. We don't think so. Mm-hmm. And basically, the, they blockaded Cuba right, mm-hmm. to prevent any ships going in and out. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, there were some military men who wanted, says, we should do Cuba right now. And mm-hmm. President Kennedy said, no. <laughs> and which, in retrospect, turned out to be the right decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was a little bit of an allusion to that. But anyway, so they. I mean, I think part of part of the this this thing though with, with nuking the town was to foreshadow the severe danger of the self-destructive wildfire. Right. Right, because like if wildfire was just self-destructing and like it's self-destructed, okay, then the people in wildfire die. Like that's sad, but it's like not the end of the world. But if it's self-destructive with Andromeda in it, then it's like literally the end of the world. Right. So it's like it was a really genius way to structure the story. To, to create that parallel. Right. So then, so the dealing with this uh, lab uh, contamination and this one lab, and all of a sudden the alarm goes off because 
there's just leak and things are yeah. leaking everywhere and the alarm goes off and and the self-destruct starts ticking you have five minutes right mm-hmm. and as they're running through the halls there's some red lights flashing so naturally that in, 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 induces attack in uh, Ruth and she falls down on the floor and it's like, you know, Hall is trying to help her, Dr. Hall, who has this thing to switch the thing off. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, well, other people are kind of afraid to help her because they think that, that she's contagious. contagious. Yeah, they think maybe but, she's sick or something, but they don't know for sure. Yeah. yeah. But He's he like, gets no, she's nurse. just having a seizure. Yeah. Yeah. He gets the nurse to give it the right medication to prevent. Her. Yeah. And I but, love what he says. That he goes, he talks to one of the other doctors and he's like, um, she had epilepsy. And the other guy is like, she didn't tell us. Like, why didn't she tell us? And Dr. Hall is like, uh, you know, because of like the stigma, you know, and he, he's very critical of that. He's like, she didn't tell us because of the stigma. Um, I forget, I forget exactly what he says, but he's like, you know, yeah, she couldn't like get this... the work in being a position that she was in if she if they knew that. Yeah, right. And he's like, like, it's the Stone Age. Like, he's very critical of the fact that her having epilepsy would have stopped her from, you know, being a scientist or whatever. And I'm like, good for you. Disability rights. Thank you, Dr. Hall. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, so he needs to find a station where he can put his key and turn the thing off. Yeah. But for some reason, there's like intermediate doors that lock off the various sections. Yeah, the station is not well designed. That, that I didn't quite understand that. So that that those doors were the um those doors were the like the the plot, you know the the doors read the script and said we have to close and make it hard for him to reach a station to turn that sort the doors right. that's what's up yeah. So this is, oh my god what are we going to do, and. Uh, I think Stone tells him, look, there's a central core. You can, there's like a maintenance shaft and you can, there's a ladder. You can go up it. So there's the catch though, because we don't want any animals escaping from here. <laughs> so they, they, there's mechanisms that if they detect somebody or something moving, it'll start, sends gas to, to knock so you out. So we have super villain lasers in this and tunnel. Lasers, you have to go with lasers, sharks with lasers and and lasers that will try to shoot the thing, <laughs> but you, know, you can dodge them. So, and I'll 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 advise you. So, he says, "Okay, I'm on my way. How do I get there? Well, you have to go to the hospital room, right? There's a gate mm-hmm. on on the other side. So he had to cut, cut himself out through." Uh, this this story took advantage of every Chekhov's gun available because earlier in the script, when they were getting into like the suits to go into the hospital room, like the ones attached to the accordion contraption. Uh, they're like, nothing could cut it. Nothing could cut it or tear it unless you cut it with a scalpel. And then he has to get through it. So what do they do? They cut it with a scalpel. You know, and, uh, like every single thing. Like, oh, this is the key for the self-destruct. If you ever need it. Like, oh, I don't like flashing red lights. Like, Okay, <laughs> I get it. I get it. If you, oh, you know, better explode Piedmont. Because really, it's, uh, no, don't explode it. Because it's very bad for the Andromeda strain. Like, okay. I, I have every Chekhov's gun. We have a whole collection. And every single one. <laughs> so he gets into the shaft and he starts climbing up and the gas starts coming out. They're just trying to shoot him. So he goes to one level up and the mm-hmm. doors are, he can't open the door for some reason. Yeah, he so he gets shot at some point by this laser. And he, he gets shot by the laser. He gets shot like in the face. Yeah. And he kind of knocks him out a little bit, but he... He almost, you would think he would drop the key, right? Because he drops it from his hand. Oh, but, but it's attached he, to his wrist. It to, and his wrist, so. Yeah, do you remember the, you remember the, the game station, the Wii? Yeah. Remember how the Wii had the remote control that you had to move around? Yeah. That had also a wrist strap for it so that you wouldn't drop it. So he's got the Wii wrist, wrist strap on the key. <laughs> <laughs> the key to self-destruct. <laughs> so yeah. he has to go to yet to another floor and he he's able to get in and he's kind of been injured so he's kind of looks sickly mm-hmm. and he the gas i guess also got to him a little bit so he's kind of tripping a bit mm-hmm. and of course the timer is tick 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 oh my god <laughs> and he, he it's like 20 seconds and he gets to the station he falls down Oh and, yes, and he's like kind of nearly fainting he says please help me somebody and people just run away from him Funny, yeah they, like you would be afraid of some bug if you're about to explode with a nuclear bomb. So 
but anyway, priorities, so it's, it's, priorities. <laughs> you know, 10, 9, yeah. and he finally puts the key and then turns it, like, with the three seconds to spare. Yeah, exactly. He's, like, trying to put it in, but he's missing. He, like, can't quite get it. And, like, below where the key thing was, there's, like, a grate. And I was, like, I'm waiting for this man to drop this key into this grate. Oh, like, that's right. <laughs> I was just, like, I'm, like, please don't do this to me. <laughs> but he does, in fact, disarm it. And uh, they don't actually explode. And then what they say later, what happens is that Andromeda actually mutated into this cloud and was being pushed over the Pacific. And because they knew that if something with uh, too much alkali, too much acid would kill it, so they just basically caused some rain to fall. You know, they, they seeded clouds with some, some stuff that made them more alkali. Yeah, they, they and, pushed and, and... it into the ocean. They said, we're yeah. good. And, and apparently that, that would uh, kill it. So... And then it was all good. And then at the end, they had like a little uh, congressional hearing where, you know, they always had these congressmen asking these tough questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and saying, you know, well, we still need wildfire for the future. This time we got away with it. But mm -hmm. the future, who knows? There was a plot that I didn't understand. I thought maybe it was in the book. There was like some, at some point in time, the scientists are arguing about like that wildfire was created for chemical warfare for biological warfare so. biological warfare so what was that because that was a very brief moment in the movie it didn't quite fit with the rest i didn't understand what it was i think what happened was the stone who was the one who kind of created the lab mm -hmm. it would you know probably argued at one point that this could be used for biological weapons for creation and, and maintenance and studying and stuff oh and to get just the government on board right and oh, okay it wasn't all innocent just to protect us from uh, mm -hmm. space-borne aliens. And the fact that this project, the Project Scoop, as they called it, that the mm -hmm. Air Force was running was to actually try to find some biological agents that they could use potentially as mm -hmm. weapons. Yeah, because they were able to map out very quickly in wildfire like where, the, where Andromeda would spread and how based on like the wind and the rain and right. you know the, the four elements and the avatar and all those things. <laughs> and that, that's when that's when the other scientists were like, "Wait a minute, you you know too much about how to spread diseases. Hmm, suspicious." But yeah, they they do in fact cure it, and we all lived happily ever, ever after. So this is actually an alien invasion movie, right? Yes, I was just thinking that this is the opposite of what happens in War of the Worlds. <laughs> in War of the Worlds, the aliens invade. If you guys remember way back in our podcast, we covered War of the Worlds which was the first alien invasion story. And uh, World of Worlds, the aliens invade, and they die because they get infected with germs from Earth. Right. And their, their immune systems can't handle it. This is the opposite. This is germs from space coming and uh, infecting humans, which is not actually that science fiction of a concept because that happened in real life where uh, when Europeans came to the Americas, for example and brought disease that infected and killed native people of America Yep. in the exact same fashion. It was, they had no, no defenses to it because of, they had no immunity to it. So it's like, it's science fiction to the extent that it's from space. But I mean, it's, again, this was in 1960s where the Apollo program and people worried about people going to the moon and what would they bring? Mm -hmm. So like when the astronauts came back from the moon, they were had to carry a quarantine for like I don't know two or three weeks, basically mm -hmm. like this isolation chamber, just mm -hmm. in case to see if they will live or die. Yeah, so it's definitely an interesting little science fiction concept. Um, I think it it's a very good idea for a book and for a movie because you have a sort of limited timeline that you're working with. But I when you and I had talked about this, I really liked that they showed us a scientific method on screen. I can't think of another movie that they do that. Right. Because I guess you're dealing with bacteria or the microorganism, right? Because there's plenty of movies where there's like a montage of like, and there was research, you know? Right. You know, and, and we studied. But I guess the closest one would be like Arrival. Remember Arrival? Yeah. That kind of shows a bit of the, that that's kind of shows a bit of the method. Um, but even that also has some like montages of like, you know, Aliens. <laughs> look, look at letters on the screen. Yeah. Oh, we're pointing to the screen. 
we're writing stuff on a on a board, you know, music, that kind of stuff. We're falling asleep in our chair, you know, regular kind of montage stuff. But this one didn't do that. This one just showed you. Yeah, this is so the experiments, right? I mean, yeah. Because probably that's a standard kind of procedure if you're trying to uh, isolate or identify a, a microorganism. That's the steps you would go through. I wonder if a movie like this could be made now, like in 2023. I don't know that audiences, I don't, or I don't know that the movie industry believes that audiences have the attention span for this kind of thing. Because it wasn't very action forward. I mean, it it was a science. But I mean, movie. It, it was suspenseful, right? You. Were, it you was. Were... It was super suspenseful. I think that it's it would it's a disservice to the audiences to not try to give them media like this because it's different. You know, there were no explosions. There was a there. You know, the, the I mean, the I mean, for me, the least interesting part was the end where he had to turn off the self destruct. It's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, that was that was a little bit too obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I thought it was it was uh, very much reminded me of the War of the Worlds, just with the opposite effect. Right. Well, so this was typical Microcrichton, right? His books up pretty much followed the same kind of a scheme. Mm -hmm. And if you think about like Jurassic Park, it was also covered like basically two days, right? They mm -hmm. they come for it's a weekend. Yeah. Weekend, weekend with dinosaurs, you know. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So, like, when you're writing for TV or movies, um, um, movies are generally written in a three-act structure, three structure, and books are not necessarily written that way because mm -hmm. they're, you know, different. But if they are written in a three-act structure, it's a good structure to use. Does it it's work very... here? What would be the – what are the three acts? And... Oh, I'd have to think about it. Um the three acts are not even. That's the thing that's confusing right. about three act structure. It's like acts one and three are very short. The bulk of your movie is act two. Act one gets your characters on their journey, like starts them on their hero arc. Yeah, so, so there's a fire, right? The, the 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 whole introduction of the Piedmont. Yeah, I think that I would. Yeah, act one probably ends at the time he starts calling for there's a fire. Uh, that's probably around the time. And then Act Two probably ends at when the, the alarm goes of, off. When the alarm goes off, yeah, at the time of the, yeah. the the quarantine breaking, yeah. And that would be the end of Act Two, beginning of Act Three, and then the, the the little bit left is Act Three. But like the the three act structure is like designed to rapidly build suspense and mm -hmm. to like to build the tension and the story all the way up. It's the same thing you see in Jurassic Park. Any movie you see that like you, that is really exciting is following the three act structure correctly. <laughs> so, I, and we don't always see that in books. You know, we that's why sometimes we talk about pacing and TV too. Right. Books and TV, like sometimes we complain. We I, I complain about pacing, and that's that's a pacing problem when you're not follow when you're not consistently building tension. Mm -hmm. You something's gone wrong in the way you've paced your story. Well, what I found with Michael Crichton books, he always does that. He, it's like his books are very hard to put down because each chapter something happens that that mm -hmm. makes you want to read. Uh, there's another book, and a, a bunch of his books books were made into movies. There's one called Timeline, which is about time travel, which is like mm -hmm. Jurassic Park with knights. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's one called Sphere, which is very strange. I know I read the book like in one night because I started, I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. It's about them finding like a alien spaceship in the bottom of the ocean. Ooh, Ooh fancy. And I know something like for me, something like a uh, Solaris, uh, I thought our good friend Lem, I thought Solaris was very well paced. Even with the middle portion where you stop and read the history of Solaris, mm -hmm. Solaris, he does a very good job of drawing you into the whole the ocean and the mystery of the ocean. Right. As as the main character is drawn in, so right. your 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 connection to it parallels the main character's connection to it, and that that is that increasing tension to the climax of the story, which is very well done. So I, I mean, and it makes sense that Crichton was a TV writer going from writing for TV to writing a novel. That that makes sense that that's how he would do it. So have you watched any of Westworld? I have not. I have been told that I would like Westworld, though. He wrote it. Oh, he did. Yes, so the I show where he wrote a book that's based on. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I I don't think he wrote the new the most recent show, but there was a movie called Westworld, which was 
based on uh, on his book, you know, because robots, you know. Yeah. No, I should I should watch it. But for Andromeda Strain, I want to talk about two more things. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor Levitt. They made they made a doctor a girl. Yay! They made the the one that fucks everything up a girl. Uh okay. <laughs> I'm excited, kind of. So when I was watching the movie, I didn't know that that was a change to the source material. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking while I was watching it, like, oh, of course, the one that is the the one that causes the problem from having a condition that's not at all her fault and not at all right. within her control. Of course, that one is the woman, you know, and I, I was a little bit like, you know, why, why give, I, when I was watching the movie, I was thinking, why give the female doctor the thing that is the hiccup in the research? Now, knowing that it was, they were all men originally, I'm thinking, okay, you had all the men to choose from. Why did you choose the one that causes the hiccup in the research and, you know, delays their ability to solve this problem and, and all these things again, through no fault of the characters right. um, agency at all. It's just, it's just a kind of lazy plot device to use. Frankly, I don't love it because if you're going to make one of them, uh, you're going to change the gender of one of them. It could have been any of them, any of them. Yeah. You know? Well, the other thing about, that 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 people said about this character was that she was a little bit frumpy, you know. She oh, she was a lesbian. I think that's what they're trying to say. <laughs> well, I don't know if they said that she was just frumpy. I I think that, that there was a pretty clear coding there with Doctor Ruth, but or frumpy is fine. I mean that that's fine though. I'd rather that's more realistic. Right. She, you know, yeah. Which was I think adult. one of the things that was said about that movie that they picked a, an actress, you know, mm-hmm. not actressy. Let's just say. Yeah, like, they didn't like say... in a British film, you know, where you have a woman played by actress that looks like a you know regular woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I thought that was good. I just questioned the decision. Hmm. Like, you're going to make the decision to change one. Why do you pick this one? I would have the same question though if they had picked Doctor Dutton, who gets trapped in the room and needs to be saved. Mm-hmm. I would have a similar criticism because I'd be like, oh, the one that needs to be saved is the woman. You know, it's it's hard because as we've talked about in media, you know, these things are different depending on the different people that you're casting or the different people you're trying to represent. And it's not bad that they looked at it, that they read this book. And only two years later, yeah, it wasn't like many decades later, only two years later, they read it and said, Hey, Michael Crichton, have you met a woman? Maybe we should put one in the story. You know, I, I'm glad that they had that thought. I, I question why that thought was, let's make it Dr. Levitt. That said, I think after, I mean, if I were going to list the main characters in order, Dr. Levitt is above Dr. Dutton. I think Dutton's probably like the least, he probably has the least lines in the script. And Levitt and Hall might have like equal lines because Levitt talks a lot. Levitt has a lot of speaking lines. So. Um, Look, uh, another funny thing I just saw is uh, Michael Crichton actually was in a movie. Oh, yeah? He was he had a cameo in the scene. He says when they when Doctor Hollis pulled from surgery to report to wildfire. Oh really? Oh, that's <laughs> so cool. I love when they do stuff like that. <laughs> that's so nice for him. So yeah, I mean that's just like something to think about. I don't think it's like movie breaking or anything like that. I'm, I I'm mm-hmm. glad that they. I'd rather there be one of those characters be a woman, particularly in 1971. By a right. modern standard, it's insufficient. But this was not a modern movie. This was a movie made in 1971. Yeah. I think you have you do have to consider it in terms of the time period it was made. The other question I have is themes. I love themes. I can't really find any. Well, it's just a riff on alien invasion, right? Yeah. Um, What's it teaching me? What am I learning? A science. Science works. You know, it's it's. <laughs> Science um, work. Okay, there. That's a theme. I hadn't thought of that. Science works. You're right. Right. I mean, you said it was a movie that kind of showed you the experiments and why they were making them, and mm-hmm. what they were drawing conclusions from. So it wasn't like magic science. Mm-hmm. It was science you could see in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. And and even the final explanation was pretty good mm-hmm. with the alkali and acidy thingies. Mm-hmm. Um, I did love all the computer announcements throughout the the movie, which were just totally. <laughs> <laughs> the 
wait, sounded uh, real to me. I don't know. <laughs> right. Totally made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It was just, as, as you say, tech, tech. Tech, tech. Tech, 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 <laughs> I, I, that is a, That actually is a theme. It's just not, it's not a, a, a deep, you know, emotional theme, but it is a theme. Science works. Science, you know, trust, trust in science, you know. This is why we, you know, when a doctor says they've researched something, this is what we mean. Right. You know, get your vaccination. <laughs> that's, that's the theme of the movie. So maybe, maybe we we should get more people to watch this movie. Yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> this is the this is the movie that explains why do your own research is not actually <laughs> not viable. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. I mean, you know, I I I like me my literary themes about like humanity and stuff like that. I mean, there's a, not, I guess there's some things about teamwork. There's like teamwork. It's not Michael Crichton, so he he. Yeah, just the suspenseful science thrillers kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like in Jurassic Park, the theme was you know don't mess with science, don't mess with nature. You know it's not good. Yeah. Here it was, alien invasion. Scientists save us. Yeah, believe in science, but we, we've certainly we've covered. Well, I'm going to take a look. I'm going to take a look at our the list of our previous episodes because we've definitely covered stuff before that's like both suspenseful and. Well, Solaris and, was definitely that, right? Yeah. It just uh, the, the resolution was very unclear. Well, something like All You Zombies, Predestination, mm-hmm. I think that had a lot of themes about identity, and which is like my favorite, and but was also like extremely suspenseful, particularly in the movie. Dune is just like dripping with thematic significance. <laughs> Dude is a giant sandworm of of systematic significance. <laughs> well, Handmaid's Tale and and Handmaid's uh, Tale wasn't wasn't like a I wouldn't cut like I say like a thriller though. It was no. really interesting, but it wasn't like you know what I'm saying. I'm trying to find other things mm-hmm. that like had that same kind of thing, but also had. Um, well, I mean, even like classics. I guess 1984 would be a really good example. Or oh, about speaker speaker for the dead. We didn't cover that one, did we? Yeah, we did. Did we cover early, speaker? Early, early on. I mean, that was Aliens and there was some yeah. mysteries. And Left Hand of Darkness, too, actually. Yep. Left Hand of Darkness, the very first one, uh, was chock full of... So, like, you can write stories that are, you know, big and, like, like action, thriller, page-turner, like, I want to watch the next episode kind of stuff, and also very thematic. You don't always have to. There's, you know, different media right. for different purposes. But it's not like you, they aren't exclusive. You can yeah. certainly do both. Uh, but yeah, Crichton doesn't. His themes are straightforward, like like the Chekhov, the various Chekhov's guns in the story. Like you can, within the first fifteen minutes of the story, you have a good idea of where we're going. You know, right? And there's some comfort in that. You know, like I knew that that self destruct was going to go up at some point, and I right. knew that he was going to stop it. Well, there, right. there was. I never had a question of like, is this a story about how this explodes in the world? That no, it's not. <laughs> it's a story about how they save everyone. You know, which is is a nice contrast. It's like some of our more grim dark stories, like The Last of Us, um, and right. other grim dark stuff that we have now, where the point of the story is like, isn't it sad? And don't you feel sad? You know, <laughs> and and yeah, it is sad, and I don't want to feel sad. Please stop. <laughs> but I thought it was very good. I really enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Okay, so I have a suggestion for our next thing before Dune comes out. Okay, yes, I'm ready. So I've read the collection of stories by Ursula Le Guin mm-hmm. called The Fisherman of the Inland Sea. Ooh, okay. And three of the stories I set in the same universe as Left Hand of Darkness. Ooh, okay. And I thought that they were excellent. Mm-hmm. So I think we should do those three. Is this the book that you have the physical copy of? Yes, there, there's no Ooh. digital copy. A physical book, man. Back <laughs> in the day, throwback, throwback. <laughs> yeah, we could do those. They're short okay. stories. They're the the shortish. The 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 kind of there's three stories that kind of build on one another, but mm-hmm. the the last one is really I really really liked it. It was. It was... I've been reading more. I got myself back into reading because I started rereading the song Western fire books mm-hmm. and I'm like bogged down now in the middle of the fourth book and it's kind of slow. So I could take, I could use a break 
to get something else in. So I'll just have to get the book from you. And then we're talking about maybe in the future doing some Star Trek stuff as well. Right. So we started watching Lower Decks, the uh, most recent season. It. So yeah. I think season I want to four. do you know, yeah. Star Trek in the 21st century. So when, we, when the season is over, maybe we should do a podcast about that. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and then, yeah, I do think, dude, the second movie is supposed to come out this fall, right? Sometime that there's delays because of the writer's strike, I believe. No, Dune's already all written and shot. Yeah, but the actors don't will not go and do the promotions and whatever. So. Oh, okay. Well, we stand with the writer's strike, so pay the writers, don't use AI. Fight fight the power. Fight the man. Fight the power, yep. Yeah, we stand with the writers. Uh, all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of History in Reverse, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye. 